0: I invite you to turn with me to uh, to Ruth chapter one. Uh, We are focusing our attention for the next five weeks on these three little pages in the Bible. Uh, As I mentioned last week, my Bible has I think a thousand twenty one pages or something like that. I haven't read the last. I don't know how it ends. Um, Just kidding. Uh, It's one thousand forty two, and here we are focusing on three little pages about these uh, ordinary, everyday people who are seeking to live their lives. Uh, in light of what God has done. And so I invite you to turn with me to Ruth uh and follow along or if in the sermon notes there's the whole the whole text. I'm going to let you off the hook this week. I'm not going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word because we're just going to go through this. You can go home tonight and stand and read it on your own if you want, but because it's such a long uh text, we're just going to kinda of go through it together. But last week we began our study of Ruth, uh understanding that what, what we're introduced to at the beginning of this chapter says uh, In the days when the judges ruled There was a famine in the land And that tells us a lot about what is going on At that day and that time uh, Number one, uh, this is when the judges were ruling And so after the God had given his people the Ten Commandments he had, uh, he had, After he had set them free from slavery He had delivered them He's given them his law therein uh, They've come into the promised land uh, But they didn't fully enter the promised land The way God had called them to do that Uh, And so there were people that they were warring with or or fighting with all the time. People uh, that had different gods. And and the Lord asked them when they came into the promised land to, uh, to get rid of all of the people and all of their idols because he knew it was possible for them to become corrupted and even intermarry with the people who weren't God's people. Uh, but the people failed to do that And so then they began to face difficulty and challenge uh, They would uh, become enslaved by different people And they would cry out to God And then God would raise up a judge God would raise up a leader to guide and to direct His people uh, Militarily also uh, with their, their faith But then again what would happen is that the people would disobey And the, the cycle would, would spiral uh, downward and downward and downward Until they were uh, subject And so we see in this story that there is, this is the time when the judges are ruling, but there's a famine in the land, and so there's great hardship, uh, there's great difficulty. And at the beginning of the story we learn that Elimelech, uh, whose name means my God is king, is not acting as though his God is king, because instead of remaining in the promised land, he travels to Moab. Uh, to a people who were a despised people, a product of an improper union, a people that they uh, they worship other gods. He takes his family there, and his sons, Mahlon and Kilion, uh, they marry two Moabite women. And there they struggle, and Elimelech and his sons both die. And so Naomi is there with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. I talk a lot about the, the desperate situation of a widow that had no sons. How she was vulnerable, how she was at great risk, uh, because there was no form of uh, no no network for her to survive. But Naomi hears that the Lord has visited His people in the land of Judah, and so she begins to make her return there. And so we pick up the story in verse eight. We see that uh, Naomi should have been in Elimelech, both should have been in the place where God had promised His blessing. And so I commend you this morning for being in the place where God promises His blessing, to be with the people of God, to gather for worship on the Lord's day, to be reminded of His grace in the midst of challenge and difficulty. This is the place where God wants to encourage you and to connect you and to bless you. And so in this story, we will uh, talk about how God blesses His people, uh, not just materially, but through relationally, relationally also. You see, that walking in in obedience gives us an opportunity to experience the kindness of God. And the kindness of God is an important theme that runs through this whole whole story. You know, as I reflect on uh, this last week, uh, one of the things that really uh, struck me, and it shouldn't be shocking to me, but it's a a wonderful reminder of how people in great tragedy in great difficulty, you see many people running away, but then you see those people in the videos who are running toward the struggle. They're running into the explosion, not knowing if there's going to be another, but they run to the people. I heard a story about a man who, whose wife was critically injured in the, in the explosion in Boston. And he didn't know his his daughter had been running in the race and he saw that she had been injured and flown back, but his wife was so critically injured he couldn't leave her and he just entrusted her to someone else and there was a man that came down. You probably have seen this picture. There's a woman lying down and there's a man that's over her. Strangers, complete strangers, rushed to the aid and cared for and loved and provided medical care and encouragement and comfort in this time. It was so wonderful. We see in this story there's a, a generous act of kindness through a stranger. Read these words with me in verse 8. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me and the dead. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept this is our first introduction to this word that appears three different times in this story the word kindly and and honestly the first time you read through this you wouldn't even notice it but it's a powerful and significant word the Hebrew word is chesed it's a very important word in the Bible it has many different meanings but it means unfailing or steadfast love it means kindness or loyalty faithfulness constancy commitment it's the attitude or behavior between people who are bound in covenant by family ties it's the the attitude of the Lord toward his people has said is always based on relationship, and it's it's connected to the concept of of covenants, and and we're reminded of this as we look back on uh, the series that we did earlier in the year on the Ten Commandments. Remember, uh, the Lord gave His people the Ten Commandments. These weren't just things that just dropped out of the sky. Even though they did come from heaven, they were something that God had given to His people in the context of relationship. He had delivered them from Egypt. He had provided for them in the wilderness. He had cared for them and He had loved them. He wanted to reveal His character to them, but He also wanted to continue uh, their relationship together. And so He gives them these commandments to say, This is who I've called you to be. This is how I want you to know that you need Me. And then in light of that need, I want you to then live for Me based on the grace that I have given to you. It's expressive of a deep and abiding loyalty and commitment between uh, parties. Uh, and the Bible has said is, is fundamentally an, an action. It recognizes and acts to relieve an urgent need of a person who is in a desperate situation. It's not just something uh, that's done that's nice. It's when a person is facing their most desperate hour. And we saw that uh, this week as people ran in to help and to care, to prevent and to encourage. Hesed is always performed for a person who is weaker. Maybe because of their situation or because of their strength, they're vulnerable. And the more powerful person comes in and extends grace and care and love. You see, the more powerful person has options. They can come and help, or they can choose not to help. But Hesed compels to move toward and to care for and to love. And ultimately, not acting is not an option. We see that the Lord is dealing kindly, Naomi says to Ruth. Picking up in uh, verse 10, And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You see, what is striking to me about this text is that instead of extending chesed to Ruth, Naomi is encouraging Ruth to go back to her old people. Is not Naomi a child of the one true God, the Lord of the universe? the God of the covenant. Hasn't God promised to be with His people? And isn't He now visiting the land of Judah? She had heard in the fields of Moab that He had visited His people in the land of Judah. Why isn't she encouraging Ruth to stay with her? The next verse says, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Here, Naomi, who, who is supposed to know the living God is saying to Ruth, go back to your other gods. Naomi is, is only thinking about what she can see. Three dead husbands and a famine. And she knows that there is a lot at stake for Ruth. You see, as I mentioned before, in those days there was no social security. A widow was very vulnerable. A widow with no sons needed someone to care for her so that she'd be able to survive. Because it was a, a familial cu- culture. When the husband died and there were no sons, there was no one then to carry on the name of the family. And so God's Word in Deuteronomy provides for what's called a Leverite marriage. There, a, a member of the same clan would marry a childless widow to protect her and to provide for her and also to allow the family name to be carried on through the first son of that marriage if a man died his brother had to marry the widow to protect her and to perpetuate the family name and it was also extended to include other kin when there wasn't a brother who was able to do this now I recognize this is a pretty foreign concept to us but that's how God worked to protect the family name and to protect and care for those in that situation But Naomi realizes that Ruth, a Moabite, would have very little prospect for marriage in the land of Judah. I mean, it's also basically impossible for Naomi to be married and then to have a son, for that son to grow up and then Ruth to marry that son, which she explains to us. So she's pushing her daughters to go back to the gods of her people. You see, instead of trusting in the Lord, the God of all resources, the God of all comfort, the God of all hope, the God of all provision, she's looking to her own strength. She's looking to her her own resources. And ultimately, that's the reason why she's in the situation to begin with. Because she left the promised land and went to provide for herself in the fields of Moab. But before we're too hard on Naomi, how many times have... We found ourselves trusting in our own resources, our own cleverness, our own ability. And yet God is the one who provides. God is the one who promises that He will be with His people, that He will give them what they need. And what we see in this story is instead of an act of kindness on behalf of uh, Naomi, we see that Ruth is the one. Ruth. Ruth is the one that is extending the act of kindness. Look at these verses. In, in chapter verse 16 it says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Here, Ruth, the Moabite, She's got to know that she's going to be rejected by the Israelites. Think about what she has to overcome to make this kind of commitment. First, she sees her sister-in-law, Orpah, walking away, going back home. She's well aware of the tension that exists between the Moabites, her people, and the Israelites, her mother-in-law's people. She could be persecuted, she could be rejected. We learn that in verse uh, chapter 2 verse 11 that she leaves her mother and father. She leaves her own family. She's even willing to leave behind her own gods and allow Naomi's God to be her God. Look, it says in verse 17, May the Lord... And notice that it says L-O-R-D, lowercase all caps. That's the covenant name for Yahweh. That's the God of the Scriptures. She's identifying herself with that God. And it's not like her mother-in-law was a great faith example in the first place, right? Hey, just go ahead and go back to your gods. And oh, by the way, the Lord who said He would provide for me in the Promised Land. Oh, by the way, that's what brought me here. Her mother-in-law is not exactly teaching her what it means to follow God. You see, Naomi and Elimerach left the Promised Land to, to live with a corrupted people. They worshiped the God Chemosh, who accepted human sacrifices and encouraged immorality. On top of that, Ruth is dealing with the loss of her own husband, a famine, and barrenness. All these factors could contribute to bitterness in her own life. It just it strikes me to think about this. When you, we consider that Ruth is using the covenant name for the Lord, we recognize that there are people who are very, very, very far from God that are within God's reach. If, if the Lord of the universe is sovereign, there is no person. It doesn't matter what country they're from. It doesn't matter what their worldview is. It doesn't matter what they've done that God can claim them if it's His will. You can't be too broken. You can't be too hurt or too sinful to experience the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And so the responsibility for Christians is is to pray earnestly, passionately for those who don't know God. To love them in the name of Jesus Christ and in the manner in which Jesus Christ loved them. And to use every resource within our power to take the gospel to them. Even to those who we would consider our enemies. It's the gospel that will bring peace in this world. And so in this story we see a, a foreign widowed woman who has experienced tremendous loss, overcoming numerous obstacles and trusting in the Lord. Indeed, God can do awesome things. There is no person that is out of reach of the Lord this statement maybe you've been to a wedding and and this verse has been read at a wedding it's that powerful of a statement of commitment and connection and here we see that Ruth is extending this kindness to her mother-in-law any of you daughters-in-law out there I just take this lesson from Ruth this is how you need to treat your mother-in-law mother-in-law don't learn from Naomi verse 19 let's continue to go through the story So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab and came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the, of the barley harvest. I just notice as we go through this how often Moabite is always connected to Ruth, the author, making sure that we know and understand who she is. But Naomi also has uh, something that identifies her. She says, don't call me Naomi the experience that she has struggled with, this difficult, the tension, the hardship. She says, call me Mara, which means literally bitter. She's, been, she's become embittered. And she says here that the Lord, His hand has gone uh, against me. It's ironic that, that, that Elimelech and Naomi are the ones who are walking in disobedience to go to Moab, and that when things get tough, then Naomi says, the Lord's hand is against me when she was never walking with God in the first place. You see what Naomi fails to realize that God in his providence and in his, in his grace and his mercy has put a compassionate and kind woman in her life, a, willing, a woman willing to sacrifice her own needs and so that she could experience the redeeming love of God. You know it's easy for us to become embittered uh, by the difficult things that we face in life too uh, the challenge of a difficult marriage or strained relationships with your children. Uh, maybe you lost your job or you didn't have the, the career uh, that, you, that you wanted. Uh, you didn't live up to your parents' expectations or maybe your own expectations. You never had the opportunities that someone else had or someone that was very close to you that you loved dearly and deeply was taken away from you. Maybe you've never been able to get over that. There are countless disappointments that we can struggle with every day, and those can create bitterness in our lives. And that bitterness can become ultimately a poison. So the way to deal with that pain is not just to to shove it aside, because that never really solves the problem. You can't just act like you weren't hurt, because that just puts a pretty face on it. What is better, to trust that the Lord is working in your circumstances that He's for you. You see, life is not just happenstance or, or coincidence. The Lord is working in the greatest struggle that you're facing right now. He is using those challenges, those difficulties, that pain that you're experiencing so that you would turn back to Him. That you would hear that the Lord is doing something in Judah and that you would return from the fields of Moab. That you would be in His presence. You see, the ultimate example of this has said is that of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who has initiated a relationship with you. He was not obligated to move on your behalf, but out of His own volition, He left the glory of heaven and He came to be with you. He suffered so that you would know that He is with those who suffer. He was rejected so that you would know He is with those who have been and will be rejected. On the cross, His great kindness, His covenant faithfulness, His loyalty was demonstrated so that we we who are unfaithful, we who are disloyal, could experience and understand the love that He has for us. See, when you and I were in desperate need, Jesus acted on our behalf. And it was at, in His death and resurrection that we can see this great and sacrificial love. So the more we meditate upon His willingness to come and bring His redeeming love to the earth, the more we are moved to extend that chesed, that that kindness, that covenant love to those who are around us and maybe even to those who aren't around us. When we are touched by the power of love, we're able to see the love that God has for us and to even love those who have hurt us We're able to extend kindness to the ones who hate us. We're able to forgive those who want to destroy us. And when we know the depth of His love for us, we're willing to give up something for the sake of others. You see, true kindness costs something. It costs Jesus His very life. Adoniram Judson felt called to go to India in the early 1800s. He ended up not making it to India, but went to uh, what was called Burma. It's now Myanmar at the time, in the early 1800s. And he was also in love with a young woman and desired to have her hand in marriage. So he wrote a letter to her father. And in this moving letter, Judson spelled out the sacrifice uh, that he was asking his future bride to make. And so here's a, a portion of that letter that he wrote to her, her father. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her no more in this world Whether you can consent to her departure for a heathen land And her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean To the fatal influence of the southern climate of India To every kind of want and distress To degradation, insult, persecution And perhaps a violent death Can you consent to this all for the sake of Him who left His heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means, from eternal woe and despair. Can I have your daughter's hand in marriage, please? Well, the father said yes, evidently, because they were married. And the letter is prophetic. Uh, They suffered uh, many, many, many challenges, uh, diseases, imprisonments, and even the beloved death of this very wife. Even some of his children. They were turned away from India and, as I said, went to Burma. And even though he translated the whole Bible, after 12 years of work there, there were only 18 conversions. And when he died, though, there were 100 churches and nearly 8,000 believers. And 20 years ago, the leader of the Evangelical Church of Myanmar said that there were 6 million Christians in Myanmar that could most all of them trace their lineage back to Judson and his wife this is said. this is kindness this is a willingness to go and to give something that is of ultimate value and significance to a people who don't yet know I wonder who will go to Chechnya to bring the light of the gospel to the people who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ See, Judson was willing, at great cost and great sacrifice, to tell the people about the kindness of God because, you see, he had experienced the kindness of God and to him it was worth it. Every sacrifice, every hardship, every struggle, it was worth it. You know, when a person's life has been touched by the kindness of God and His redeeming love, the natural response is to extend that loving kindness, that, that faithfulness to another person in light of, of the challenge and the brokenness of this world, will we be people who are willing to extend that same kind of kindness to others in our families, in our community, and even to the world? Will you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You for the Word that You've given to us in this story of, of faithfulness. Lord, we, we acknowledge that we... We don't operate with this kind of faith, with this kind of boldness and sacrifice that Ruth has shown to us. But Lord, somehow as she is naming you the Lord of the universe, she has come to know you. She has come to trust you. And so we see that God, you are good and that you are working in our our life. We pray that you would just help us to encounter your goodness and your kindness in such a way that it would melt away the bitterness that we experience in our hearts it would melt away our anger and our pain, but instead we would, we would freely give that which You have freely given to us, Your covenant love, Your redeeming love, Your kindness. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.